Okay, welcome everyone and uh, welcome back to Kingdom 101. And this evening, we are getting into a message. I pray that the Lord will enable me to deliver this well. Now at this point, those of you who are here, present live at this teaching, you are looking at the screen and you're wondering why we have Sylvester Stallone there. This is from the movie The Expendables. Of course, those who have watched this would know that it is actually quite a, a violent show, yes? But there's a reason why I picked this picture, because the title tonight is Mercenaries on Mission. And Sylvester Stallone, together with his team of uh, guys, they're all mercenaries. Of course, you know, many of you sitting there for the last um, few moments looking at that spelling, it's like, it's a wrong spelling. And I said, I know. Okay, I just used that word for its sound, but the, the right spelling is M-E-R-C-E-N-A-R-Y, a mercenary. So let's get into a word study of mercenary. Now the word mercenary comes from a root word, merces, which is from the Latin. And that Latin word actually means, uh, it refers to wages or reward, merces. So we have this word mercenary deriving from that. So how do we understand and why am I sharing this word with you? From this one root word, we see that these guys, Sylvester Stallone together with his gang, they are professional soldiers for hire. And when you hire a mercenary, what do you do? Obviously, there's a job to be done, right? So you're telling this guy, this is your assignment. So these are professional soldiers on assignment. Now, do they do it for free? Obviously not. They do it for wages and they wait for their payment or their reward. And you know we've watched these movies, right? Huh? The moment they hit their target, um, money is transferred you know, through a Swiss bank account or something like that, you know? So they are professional soldiers on assignment and they are waiting for their reward. Now let me surprise you that later on this word matches, this word is also known to mean a blessing. Now why is that so? Because if you look at wages and reward, it means that you're doing something and that is deserved. But as they receive something and they realize it is undeserved, they will call it a blessing, it's like a divine uh, reward, a divine something that comes upon this person and they extended this word to mean a blessing, okay? Now later on, from that root word, it extends to a French word called merci. Now merci means thank you for those who know French, pardon my French, the way I've pronounced it. But how do we derive this French word that means thank you? It's because if you receive a blessing, you say, merci, thank you for this blessing because it's totally undeserved, right? So I love etymology, the origin of words, because it gives you a better picture of what we are studying. So this evening, I'm not asking you to be mercenaries, but I'm asking you to be mercenaries. 
that we want to be people who are thankful. And we want to be people who understand what a blessing is all about, that we are grateful for these blessings. Now, you're still looking at a slide and you're saying, but it doesn't fit that picture of Sylvester Stallone still. You know, that, that picture has to go. All right, so let me remove that and let me define for you in tonight's terms what we're going to learn about being a missionary. Would you agree with me that this person, a missionary, is thus a blessed, someone who has been blessed, and someone who is thankful. He is a blessed and thankful full-time soldier on kingdom assignment, looking to the rewards he will receive when these are fulfilled. Okay, that's my very simple definition of a missionary. Because we are looking tonight at this one word derived from mechches to mercy. We're looking at this word called mercy. That's how the word progresses. From one Latin word, later on, it's moved to a French word, mercy, where we now get our English word, mercy. Something that's undeserved and yet something that denotes a thankfulness because it is undeserved. Of course, we know we come to this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 this week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This gives you a picture of what kind of assignments kingdom soldiers are to be on. They are mercy missions. We are mercenaries on mission. The kind of assignments we partake in, many times they will involve mercy. Now up until this stage of the journey, we have studied four Beatitudes. How do we understand this fifth Beatitude? So in this session, I hope to explore four points with you and for you. Firstly, what is mercy? Right? Without understanding mercy, how do we show mercy? And why do we want to receive mercy? Secondly, we will look at the effect of mercy received. After that, we will look at the tension and the struggle between these two words, one we studied in the last session called righteousness, and tonight we look at mercy, righteousness and mercy. And finally, the fourth point, we want to obviously know the blessedness of mercy that is extended. So before we jump into all these heavy teaching tonight, will you join me? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that in Scripture, so many things are hidden in there, Lord. And as we dig for gold, as it were, Lord, and as we discover it, Lord, I pray for a revelation in our hearts, Lord. I pray for joy to bubble from within when we begin to understand what you have kept for us, O oh Lord. And so be with me, be with my brothers and sisters also, as we continue this journey of learning together. Will you open our eyes to see, open our ears, Lord, open our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord. Show us, direct us. And we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Firstly, what is mercy? The Greek word for mercy is eleos. 
we don't really use that in our present day language. But to the Greeks, mercy to them is like an emotion. It's something you, you, you feel within you. But to the Stoics, there's a philosophy of those who are called the Stoics. And the philosophy of the Stoics, if you know what they stand for or not stand for, someone who's Stoic means like, you know, when you call someone a Stoic, he's expressionless, right? That means he does not display his emotions. He sees emotion as something as a sickness or that it is a weakness. So in a Greek understanding, when you say mercy, to show mercy, to express mercy, it's not a positive thing. It is a sickness. It is a weakness. People who display mercy are weak. Now you think about it today, when we say we've got to release someone or we have to extend mercy, don't we have that kind of a same impression, right? We, we want to be strong. You know, we, 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 no, 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 we've got to hold on to our ground. We've got to stand firm. And you know, in, in standing for our convictions and displaying a certain strength, we sort of look at mercy almost like the way the Greeks or the Stoics would ap uh, approach it to say it's a weakness. So because I'm strong in, in what I stand for, I will then not extend mercy. But let's not start with the Greeks. I think the best place to start is to start with God. And we know that mercy is really one of the qualities or one of the traits of our God. Do you remember when God said that He will pass by Moses? Moses said, you know, show me your glory. And God said, okay, this is what I'm going to do right now. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. And what does He say and what does He declare for us? Merciful and gracious. That's the first thing He declares of Himself. Merciful and gracious. Long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Don't we have a good God? Amen? Right? When we look at this one, one verse or the first part of these two verses, God declares He is merciful. That is one of His qualities and traits. But you see, He doesn't stop there. He goes on and He says, By no means clearing the guilty. Now, you almost have a hint now of, of righteousness coming in. Can you see that? He is merciful, but He doesn't throw away His righteousness. He holds both mercy and righteousness together. He says, By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, we're going to explore this a little bit more later, so just hold this in your mind that we see the tension of mercy and righteousness in play. Now, because of God's mercy, and obviously together with His faithfulness, God keeps covenant with His people, Israel. And this is a beautiful picture because you and I know Israel. When we read the Bible, they are not a nice bunch. Now we look at that, we can say amen because we are not a nice bunch either. But because of God's mercy, because of His faithfulness, God is able to keep His covenant. We see this when God brings Israel out of Egypt. It says in Exodus 15, 13, You in your mercy 
have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You see, it's God's mercy that took Israel out. In the wilderness, after the 12 spies returned, and 10 said, no, no way are we going to go in. And 2 said, yes, right? In Numbers 14, 19, Moses prays, pardon the iniquity of the people, I pray. And he didn't just ask for a pardon. He says, please pardon them according to the greatness of your mercy. Moses appeals to a character of God, a nature of God. He says, God, you are merciful. That's why I'm able to pray this prayer and make this request. By the time they went, when they went into the land, the time of Solomon, the temple has been built. In the time of dedication, Solomon, of course, he prays. And you can read that long prayer in, in Chronicles, right? And it's really, Lord, if we sin and we turn to you, we come back to this place, we pray, we petition, will you hear our prayers? Will you forgive us? And later on, all of them sing, for the Lord is good and His mercies endure forever, right? So you look through the entire Old Testament to the prophetic books, um, the psalmists contain many references to God's mercy. God is merciful to His people, Israel. But is it only to Israel? No. You can go back and you'll find that God is also merciful to the nations. And one very clear case is obviously the book of Jonah. Do you remember? God says to Jonah, now you go tell these people, you, they, they better stop their nonsense. Otherwise, it's going to be really bad news for them. Now, Jonah runs away to Tarshish. But we find the reason in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 of Jonah. When God finally withheld His judgment upon the people of Nineveh, Jonah wasn't happy. It said, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very upset. I mean, this was one guy who had an assignment, executed his assignment, fulfilled his assignment, and got really upset. He became very angry, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? It's like, see, God, I told you. I knew it. Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. Here's the reason. For I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And you should hear that final line. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know what he's actually saying? He's like, God, I, I didn't want this assignment. I don't want to do this assignment if not for that stupid big fish that, 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 that chewed me up. I wouldn't be here. I preached a simple message, they repent, you relent, and now they get away scot-free. You know how terrible these people are or not? I tell you, I cannot see them going away free because of your mercy. Now, can you just kill me? This is Jonah. But because of God's mercy, His nature, not only for His people, but also for the nations. There's another word that translates nations. It's called the Gentiles. 
Aren't you happy that God is merciful also to the Gentiles? Because we are all Gentiles down here. Amen? Right? So if you want to start understanding what mercy is, you've got to start with God. The Hebrew word for mercy is kesed. And actually it means a lot more than maybe what we understand or have our impressions about mercy. The word mercy can also mean kindness, loving kindness, goodness, pity, or compassion. Usually when we think of mercy, we only think in terms of uh, a forgiveness, right? Oh Lord, have mercy upon me, you know? Please forgive me, release me from this. But when you look at this broad scope of this word said in Hebrew, it is not just about forgiveness, it's about compassion. It's about feeling something for someone, whether or not this person has done any wrong. And it's expressed through pictures we all can understand and can identify with. For example, as a loving father, God in Psalm 103 verse 13 it says, as a father pities his children. How many fathers do we have here? Sometimes you know, as a parent, we, we look at our child or our children and, and they're going through a very difficult time. It's like, oh, you know, you have, you have compassion. There's pity for this. Oh, I, I, your exam so chalat, so difficult, you know. Wow, you work so long hours, you know. Right? So the Lord pities those who fear Him. Or a mother, right? Actually, a mother feels even more. And I look at the mothers here, I know. Okay? For us guys, fathers sometimes like, yeah, it's okay, I might not let them suffer a little bit. But for the mother, ayo, do you drink or not? Do you eat dinner or not? Ayo, how come so thin already? Yeah. Wow, the mother's heart. Huh? And it says that, can a mother forget her nursing child? and not have compassion on the son of her womb. Yeah? There's a bond between mother and children that is just so special. And God is like that with us. He has compassion upon us. Or perhaps a faithful husband. We read this in Isaiah 54 verse 7. God says, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. And this is husband-wife picture, like in the book of Hosea. Now, if you know the book of Hosea, yeah, Hosea was made to marry someone who is unfaithful. And God is saying, you are gonna, your marriage is going to be a prophetic picture of me being a faithful husband. Although your wife is unfaithful, you keep wooing her back. So more than just overlooking a fault, it is also compassion to act in the interest of that person. And so we have those words, grace and favor. Now these words we know fairly well today. Grace and favor. At this point, we need to consider the two words, mercy and grace. Now notice, huh? the Hebrew translates into both these words, mercy and grace. And I'm learning that it is not one or the other, but it is both and in this context. I call it the continuum of mercy and grace. In other words, there's no middle point or a point where, we, where mercy ends and grace begins or grace ends and mercy begins. You follow? 
Now, if we look at mercy, people have defined it this way. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Now, what do we deserve? We deserve justice to be pronounced upon us. And we will be found unrighteous. We will be found on the wrong side. So, rightly, we deserve a penalty. Now, when someone displays mercy or mercy is given to us, then we don't get what we deserve. What we deserve is penalty, but we don't get it. It is, it is withheld from us. But grace, on the other hand, is getting what we don't deserve. We call it favor. We call it favor. Let me give you an example in the Old Testament. I know you know the story of Joseph. And there's one verse that illustrates this very, very well. You know, Joseph was thrown into the prison. He didn't do anything wrong. Not that he was perfect in that, but in that situation, he did what was right. And yet, he was thrown into prison. Now, you see these two words appearing in this one verse. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor. Mercy is shown favor is given in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So not only was compassion given to him, favor was also placed upon him and he was promoted. If you think in the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son, it's exactly the same kind of a picture. When the son finally comes back, the father takes him in, that's mercy. Right? He didn't have to take him in at all. He could have just stopped there. What was the grace factor? He put the ring on him, he killed the fatted calf, and he celebrated. You see that? Okay, and he had a great favor on that side. So mercy and grace, I call that the continuum of mercy and grace. So always look at these two together. In the New Testament, we see God's mercy as well as His grace extend through the person of Jesus Christ. So through the cross of Jesus, you and I know, because we are not righteous, we deserve penalty, we deserve death, we didn't get that. Instead, we receive what we don't deserve. Extremely more than what we can even think or imagine. So let me give you some examples here. You see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, you read the whole passage. We are not just saved, we are seated. Right? God could have just said, okay, I just saved you, lah. that's it. No? no, He saves us and He raises us up and seats us with Christ. That's grace. Secondly, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we don't just have assurance of a right relationship with God, we have access into His presence. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4, where Paul talks about we have been comforted with the comfort of God. How? First, there's compassion, mercy shown upon us. But God doesn't just say, oh, I pity you. But He does something else. He comforts us. There's something more than that. All right? So we always look at grace and we look at mercy. And this is what we receive from God through Jesus Christ. Now, I know I don't have to teach on this too long because all of you here, we're all Christians, we understand this. But this is important 
for us to move to the next question or the next section. The effect of mercy received. If you and I have received mercy, if you and I have tasted grace, there will be an effect that flows out of that. So let me not presume. May I have a show of hands? How many of you have received mercy? And you have experienced the grace of God? Amen, right? We have 100%, definitely. Definitely. But let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul then says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, when you read these two verses, please read from the start here. Paul is saying, on the basis of the mercies which you have received. If you have received mercy, this is then how you should live. This is the effect. Yeah. Now, if you want to go back, you can read chapters 9, 10, and 11. It's all about Israel and you know, how we have been grafted in, where we were not His people, now we are His people. It's like, man, praise the Lord. All right? By His mercy, by His grace, we are now part of the family. So now Paul really hammers it home now. By the mercies of God. Now you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now it doesn't stop there. Obviously you know it doesn't stop there. Because verses 3 to 8 after that says, now don't you know that it is by the grace given to you that you have received gifts. So according to the gift that you have received, now begin to serve. Can you follow? Okay, let me just back up a little bit now. Paul says, by the mercies. You have received the mercy of God. You have tasted His grace. Now this is what should follow. Are we seeing this in the church or not, my friends? And we've got to ask ourselves that. We sing about His grace. We proclaim it. Do we live like that? Now, you want to be clearer? I give you in Akipa's language, shall I? So let me split it up. By the mercies of God, get aligned. Say amen. Right? By the mercies of God. Now, how do you get aligned? Better present yourself first. I, I can't align you if you are 10 miles down the road. Come close to God. Present yourself. Worship Him because this is your reasonable act of service. And as you do that, de-align from the world, but be transformed by the aligning or the renewing of your mind. Align with how God thinks. Align with who God is so that you may understand, you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Align with the will of God. Get into alignment. For what? Assignment. Am I talking to missionaries now here? Mercenaries, yeah? So you have now been graced. You're not only given the mercy of God that, that, that penalty was withheld, favor is given to you now that you are gifted. For what? For the king's assignments. 
So if you and I, we sing about the grace of God and we declare it so loud, do our lives demonstrate that? Does it have any impact on us at all? Let's go on. See, when we look at the effect of mercy received, we look at a story in um, the book of Luke where there was a woman that came into a meeting and she threw herself literally to worship Jesus. And Jesus asked of the scribe or the Pharisee that was there, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. That's mercy, right? Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Because the, the guy answered correctly. He said, I suppose the one who owed more. And Jesus says, yep, that's correct. So if you look at this woman, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. What is the effect and the impact of mercy that has been received? Because that which we have received is that which we will release. You've got to think about that. So our question for ourselves we have to ask, how much do you think you have been forgiven? Now you think of the, the most dramatic and impressive testimonies. They come from drug addicts, right? They come from murderers. They come from people, you know, who, who deserve the death row and yet somehow God delivers them from that and their entire lives, it, it, it's given to the Lord, yes? Because they know how much they have been forgiven. But for many of us, where we have not robbed the bank or we have not killed anyone, you know, we, we don't see our sins as very great. And because we don't see our sins as very great, then in our minds, then we have not been forgiven very much because there's not very much to forgive. And if there's not been much forgiveness, then there's not been much of a mercy received. Amen? And that's why after that, we don't know how to release mercy. We don't know how to love Jesus because we think we have only been released from very, very little bit. You see that? So you've you got to ask yourself, how much have you been forgiven? It is that extent which we have received that we will extend the same to others. This is the effect of mercy received. And I want to challenge us this evening to think and to really ponder if we say we have received the mercy of God, why do we not live showing that mercy and extending that mercy? Because if we don't grapple this question, it is left unanswered. Then we will go through our little Christian life feeling very happy with ourselves, but not living out the purposes of God and missing out the assignments that He has given to us. Let me share with you some mercy stealers and killers. The first is self-righteousness. Because we think we have not sinned that much, 
So I guess we are more righteous than someone else. We minimize our own sin, but we magnify our own righteousness. Let's be honest, this requires soul searching. And if we don't point it out to ourselves or someone does not point it out to us, we miss this. This is that proverbial looking at that speck in someone's eye and missing the plank in our own. Remember I told you that Jesus' text for the Sermon of the Mount is the Beatitudes. Later on, when he teaches the rest, he unpacks it, then you see the Beatitudes in play and in application in those scenarios. We become judgmental. We are critical. How many times have we looked at someone and we say, they deserve it, what? Done so many times. They don't want to come to church, what? That's your own problem. We criticize and we are judgmental, but when we do the same error, we excuse ourselves. Yes or no? We're self-righteous. Oh, but I'm not so bad, what? That person is worse. At least I did not do that. Right, so we qualify and we justify and we make ourselves feel good. So because we are righteous and we are self-righteous, we, we don't have to receive any mercy. See, God, I don't need that much of your mercy. So because you don't have that much of the mercy, at least in your mind, you refuse to extend mercy to other people. Self-righteousness is dangerous. Jesus had the harshest words for self-righteous Pharisees. The second is a veneer of religiosity. It's related to self-righteousness. If self-righteousness is focusing on others' sins, then religiosity is focusing on the outward forms. The things that people can see, the things that you do. So be very careful. All of us can fall into that trap because of our church activities and involvement even our kingdom assignments. Let's say you know your assignment, I know mine, and we are faithfully pursuing it. It is easy for us to look at someone who is not and think that we are better than the other person. Don't forget, everything is by His grace. So religiosity. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus told the people, you go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's quoted from Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's easier to sacrifice than to extend mercy, I tell you. Some of us will find it easier, you know, when an offering bag goes by or a building fund comes, you know, we write out a check and we feel really good about it because we did it. You know, we, we sacrifice that money. Oh, look at that. Oh, how wonderful I am. But when someone needs a gentle word. You know, someone needs help, a cup of water. We will not lift a finger because it's harder. Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You can do all the church things. You can sit on the board of churches. You can be a church elder. But when you come into a problem, you refuse to forgive someone else. And Jesus says, look, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We like that sacrifice. Because it makes us feel good. It's a form of religiosity. You remember, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, 
justice, mercy, faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So Jesus is saying, I'm not saying don't serve. I'm not saying don't do these things. These are good, but the weightier matters, the more important things, you have missed it out. So what if you tithe? So what if you serve? So what if you attend you know, a, a service regularly 52 times a year? It means nothing if we do not exercise mercy. Jesus is not impressed. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. The priest goes by, does nothing. The Levite goes by, nothing. But the Samaritan, someone who's supposed to be an enemy, sees this person who has been hit. And it says in the Bible, he had compassion. Mercy. He had compassion. And this is what he did. Jesus said he showed mercy to this person. And later on he says, you know who your neighbor is? Now you know, right? Everyone who is in need is your neighbor. Now go and do likewise. What's likewise? Show mercy. Show mercy. Another problem we face is partiality or favoritism. Here we are focusing on our own preferences and likes. Meaning to say we help certain groups of people while ignoring or judging other groups. I won't ask you to say amen, huh? Because this is really hitting close. Um, all these points are very raw points, right? If we would be honest, men, all of these all apply to us. It's easier to help those who benefit us, right? But for those that don't serve us any purpose, why spend time with them? No need one. But yet Jesus says the same thing about inviting people to the dinner or a supper in Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends. So don't get offended if I don't invite you. Huh? <laughs> don't ask your brothers, don't ask your relatives, don't ask your rich neighbors. Lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Instead, you're supposed to go to the highways, the byways. Those who have no food, those who have no place, no candlelight. Maybe they really eat by candlelight. You are supposed to look out for these. Who do you spend time with? In our corporate world, even in the church today, we, we say something like, you know, you've got to move with the movers, you know. Right? Yeah? Th those who listen to you, huh? you spend time with them because these are the ones that would have returned. Now, there's some truth in that. Spend your time wisely. But how about those who really need a listening ear? How about those who really need, you know, your presence just to be there? Your pastor has no time to spend with everybody. And yet everybody expects the pastor to spend with everybody. It cannot happen that way. And after that, we judge the pastor. We judge, you know, I pay you, you know, that's why you do it. Cannot. You and I have those assignments, yes or no? It's very quiet. <laughs> Don't have favoritism. In James, he wrote against the rich. He said, why do you only hang out with the rich guys? And the moment someone comes in and he doesn't dress like you guys, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't even want to talk to this guy. Have you not sinned already? Have you sinned one area of the law? You sinned everything. 
Now, if you want to be judged by one area, then every the entire law you have to be judged by. And so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. You're free now to do what you need to do. But, you know, you be careful because judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Something that we all struggle with too, self-centeredness. This is where we focus on our own personal pursuits and agendas and missing the heartbeat of the kingdom and our kingdom assignments. Singaporeans are busy, right? Busy doing what? Most of the time, we are chasing after material gains. Most of the time, we are worrying about the cares of the world. We look out for ourselves. We we, we don't have time for other people. We don't care about their interests. And then Jesus says, look, if you want to be a disciple, can you deny yourself? Don't look after yourself because if you look after yourself, you have no time to look after anyone else. I'm not saying be irresponsible in your own home. That's not the point. But we are self-centered. We we build our own kingdom. We build our own things. We are are heaping up. We have no time for others. We We are busy. And I tell you personally, authentically, that this is one area I struggle with. Not so much the busyness, but if you know me by now, I'm a very task-oriented person. That if there's a task, I would move to fulfill it. And it's easy for me to focus on a task and miss the person or the persons. So if you're in the way of my assignment and my task, I may just steamroll over you. All with good intentions, I'm, I'm assuring you. You understand? But you see, I will be no mercy. <laughs> like, don't stand in my way. I'm on assignment. I'm focused. And the Lord would use something like that to remind me over and over again. I'm learning even through my pastoral ministry that even when I sit with someone and I've got tons of things to do, perhaps that time spent with a brother or a sister would help him or her get to the next step. Or maybe I'm just talking to an archipus who doesn't understand what his or her assignment is. Oh, I can get so frustrated. I can get so impatient. And yet the Lord says, have compassion because you were like that before. Do you realize something? When you and I have been awakened, we become very impatient. Forgetting that we might have been asleep for 20 years. But we expect that guy who's been asleep for 20 years to wake up in 20 seconds. True, right? That's us. We're not willing to acknowledge our own weakness, our own hurts. Over time, we're hardened. We grow cold. Because the last time I extended mercy, I got snooked. The last time I extended grace, I got played out. The last time I was kind to someone, it was not reciprocated. You see that? And so I protect myself now, self-centered. I better protect myself. Be careful. That's why Jesus teaches very clearly, very wisely, be as gentle as doves, but be as wise as serpents. Amen? He doesn't say be stupid and do, do crazy things. No. He says be wise. And we need to grow in that. But you notice of all these points, there's a common denominator. It is actually pride. See, proud people always think they are right and that they are good. So if they don't need mercy, they will not extend mercy to anyone else. 
Proud people see weak people as deserving whatever state they find themselves in. So, no need to extend any mercy. Uh. Proud people refuse to acknowledge the need for anything outside of themselves because to acknowledge means that I am weak. So if I don't need God and God is mercy, then I don't need mercy. Proud people do not fear God. So even if they falter in being righteous, they don't need mercy because I'm still righteous in my own eyes. Can you see? It's a vicious cycle. We just go round and round. Proud people are not repentant and they refuse to change their ways. But the Bible reminds us that God will resist the proud. But to the humble, He gives grace. He extends mercy. And that's why this is the fifth beatitude. Those who are broken, those who are down and out, those who are at the end of that rope, those who mourn, those who need to be comforted, those who are crying out against unrighteousness. They're like, oh Lord, help. They understand mercy. You see that? And when you have received that mercy, you are more likely to release mercy. See, this is the effect of mercy received. So you have to ask yourself, have you received mercy? If you say yes, I ask you how much? Because as much as you have received, you will release. And if you have received much and you still don't release, then can I ask you, can you find out where are the mercy stealers and the killers? Where are the, where are the blocks? What's choking you? Now that we understand mercy, we've got to look at this tension between righteousness and mercy because there are times where I, I struggle with this. But Lord, you say, be, be, be righteous, right? You know, so if this person is wrong, then I must point out to this person, right? But when I point out in a certain way, the person say, oh, I'm not gracious. So okay, then I be gracious. But when I'm gracious, then I don't look as if I'm righteous. Do you struggle with this sometimes? So let me give you two verses, one from Zechariah chapter 7, verses 8 to 10, and another from Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And you'll find that God says, look, you, know, you need to understand both justice and mercy. Through Zechariah, he says, execute true justice. In other words, don't compromise. But as you do that, show mercy and compassion. In Micah, he does the same thing. What do I require of you? But to do justly, righteously, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I know this may not explain everything to us this evening, but will you agree with me? It is not either or, but it's always both and. Let me give you some quick examples and I hope this will help you understand it a little bit better. There are many parents in our midst. Do you want to teach your child the right way? Yes. But do you know if you hold only to the right way, and yes, you should hold only to the right way, but if you hang on to that for dear life, you are killing your child. Your children will die because they can't meet up to that standard. And so today as counsellors, you know, we have, we have rejection problems, right? Uh, identity crisis problem. Because I can never live up to the expectations of my father or mother. Even if you are Christian and even these expectations are righteous, these are still too high because there is none righteous. And so does it mean you compromise? No, you still discipline, you still lead, you still guide, but you give space. For the child to learn their own mystics, you still show compassion. You love in spite of his disobedience or rebellion. 
I've spoken to so many parents and as much as they desire to live right, pray right, talk right, serve right, there's no guarantee the children might grow up right. And I'm warning myself, you be careful because if you hold on to a crazy lofty expectation, you might just well be very disappointed. You see, you need both in parenting. How about the judicial system in our country? Do you always give the full weight of the law? Even lawyers understand that there are terms or factors, what we call mitigating factors, right? Where we look at some of these things, and say, okay, fine. Maybe because, it's, okay, we release. No, mercy is given, right? And we extend and we show some compassion because of the children, because of the wife at home, because of, uh, you know, aged parents and so on. Mitigating factors that are given, both justice as well as mercy. Look at church discipline. If you only hold to righteousness, we got to sack a lot of people from the church. Do you know that? Yeah, a lot of us won't make it. But you hold to righteousness. You preach righteousness without compromise. But if, you know, if, if we fail and if we falter, we, we will bring restoration. Amen? until to a point where the person is rebellious and doesn't want to come back in, then an act of righteousness might be excommunication. How about discipleship? Jesus never lowered the bar when He says, will you come and follow me and be my disciple? He didn't say, oh, you can't make it every day. Huh? Okay, now mind, let's meet once a week. Oh, once a week cannot. Huh? Let's meet once in every uh, two weeks. Huh? Also cannot, once a month. Four hours too long? Okay, two hours. Right? Jesus never lowered the bar. He says, if you want to follow me, this is it. Otherwise, you're not worthy. But was he gracious? Yes, he was. The disciples made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And Jesus still loved them, had compassion upon them. False teachers and prophets. You want to hold the righteousness? Of course. Right doctrine is important. And you will speak out against them. You will have to expose many of these wrong teachings. But at the same time, as you call out these teachers, always remember to leave the door of mercy and grace open. So they repent, so they change their view, you know. Then you receive them back into the fold again. So my friends, this is what mercy and righteousness is all about. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. Is it easy? Not by a long shot. <laughs> and so if you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that's good. But can you add in this beatitude? You notice they are paired together. Number four and number five. Be gracious, be merciful, be compassionate when others fall short of God's standard because yourself, you can't even keep it. Be gracious and be compassionate as you are looking out for righteousness in every place, you know. Be compassionate and, and loving to those who have been hurt by unrighteousness. They are victims of unrighteousness. When will we ever get this right? It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a process. But I believe the way we are able to minister these effectively, that is the extent to which we have grown and matured in Christ. He is the only one full of grace and truth. So if you're still struggling with this, it's okay, you're in good company. We are all still struggling with it, amen? And we will swing a little bit here, swing a little bit there, and this is the aligning process, understand? 
And you won't understand this until you're on an assignment to reveal this and show this to you. If you stay to yourself, by yourself, and doing your own little personal thing, then you know something? As much as you learn, to you, you will always be righteous. Someone else will always be unrighteous. You will never display mercy. You will always be judgmental and you become very, very critical. You get out there on the field, you begin to serve, and you begin to see how much you need the mercy and the grace of God. Then you release mercy and grace. That's where you grow. Amen? This is called maturity in Christ. So if you're still struggling with this, then you are still growing. Praise the Lord. What must you remember as you are moving? Keep looking back to the cross. Keep looking back to the cross. And you must look at others through the cross. For yourself, look back to the cross because that was when you received mercy and grace. And from that point, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. Look back to the cross. Someone that irritates you to no end, put a cross filter. Yeah? Okay? Not to chase a vampire. Huh? Put a cross filter. Understand what I'm saying? Look at this person through the cross. If Jesus can love this person, ask Him for grace to love this person. As you have been forgiven, forgive. As you have received mercy, extend mercy. That's what it means that God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, yes? So as you are growing from faith to faith, more and more, the righteousness of God will be revealed through you. Not judgmental, not critical. Do you know that when you extend mercy, that is righteousness? Isn't that a paradox? Sometimes we think to extend righteousness or to stand for righteousness is to stand your ground. The Bible tells you to extend mercy. That's the way of righteousness. So when you want to walk that way of righteousness in standing for righteousness, you will release mercy. Have you thought about it that way? Interesting, isn't it? Huh? To stand for righteousness is then to extend mercy. So let's get to the fourth point and let's close. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now suddenly there's a condition there. It's not that we have not already received mercy. That's the reason I have structured this teaching in this way, is to assure you we have received mercy. So what does this really mean? In the present age, we get to experience and enjoy the makarios or the blessedness of being merciful. Now, what does the word mercy mean? Thank you. Thank you. If you have received mercy, are you thankful? Yes, you are. If you have received grace, are you grateful? Yes. Every day of your life, it should be thankfulness and it should be gratitude. If you understand that and you release that out of that, you are thankful and you are grateful. If not, you are going to be a sour prune. And a lot of Christians are like that because they don't know and they don't understand mercy. Because you've received that, you are thankful, you are grateful, thankful enough to release others. And so you release them and as you release them, you release yourself. It's very funny, right? <laughs> so God is actually giving us a very important uh, reminder down here. 
You've already received forgiveness. You've already received all these. Don't get yourself bound in all the wrong things again. Keep releasing it. And as you extend mercy to others, you actually release yourself also from unforgiveness. You release yourself from complaining, from griping, from criticizing, from judging, and you just want to be a blessing to everyone else. Now, if you have received mercy, then you are on kingdom assignment. Do you know how blessed you are to be purposeful, to be on kingdom assignment? Because every time you're on assignment, you're moving on your assignment, you need more grace and you need more mercy. It will push you back to the Lord over and over and over again. So if you want more grace and mercy, get on assignment. You learn to receive that. Then you learn to release that. But in the age to come, if we live a life of mercy and grace, we are blessed because we will stand confident before Jesus who is the righteous judge. Now, you and I know that sin has already been judged. Mercy has already been received. So we are not working for this. But out of what we have received, we are now working. So works now becomes the evidence that this mercy and grace has not been received in vain. This becomes the proof of our salvation. Our expressions of mercy, like I said just now, are works of righteousness. Because we forgive as we have been forgiven. We extend compassion as we have received compassion. These are all our kingdom assignments. And when we meet with the Lord, we know we will receive mercy finally as we have shown mercy. Amen? See, this is the blessedness of living a life of mercy and of grace. So four points, but revisiting again foundation. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So as I conclude, let me show you a picture and a word again. Are you a mercenary? Can I appeal to you not to be this type of a mercenary, where you're always picking out someone's fault, where you're always shooting someone down, you're killing others with your self-righteousness and your pride. You are judgmental and critical. You are unforgiving with no compassion. Let us not be self-absorbed, living for ourselves only. Because there are many people out there who desperately, desperately need to know the mercy and the grace of God. And God has chosen one of us here to express that. As I show you some of these pictures here, can I encourage you to pray and to ask the Lord, Lord, show me that I may be mercenaries on mission. Look at these. We've got people who are hungering, people who are lost, couples who are breaking up, children who need guidance, spousal abuse, the elderly, the homeless, young stay-at-home mothers who don't know how to run their families, hard-pressed working executives, stressed all over the place. We can look at them and say, your fault, no? We can judge them, right? Or we can get out there as mercenaries on mission 
and spend time with them, feed them, clothe them, walk with them, stay with them, and love them, and draw them to Jesus. And this is not even talking about difficult people in the church, difficult people at home, difficult relatives. But behind every difficulty and every challenge, do you know usually there's a story? They are not like that, just like that. It's usually based on some problem. And they just need someone to care for them and to love them. So as we close on this last slide, let me read this to you again. Will you be someone who is a, a blessed and a thankful full-time soldier of the kingdom? Are we full-time soldiers? I believe we are. Who know their kingdom assignments that we may look to the rewards we will receive when these assignments are fulfilled. We are mercenaries on mission. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this timely reminder, Lord. And Lord, I'm going to start with myself. I ask you to forgive me, Lord. For often I'm so focused on a task, wanting to be on assignment, not wanting to waste any time, all for good reason, all for good cause. But along the way, I've missed a heart that has been broken. I've missed lives that need a touching word or an encouraging moment. I have judged people. I have criticized others. I've been impatient. I've lived only for myself. I have not been concerned about anyone else. Lord, forgive me. If there's anyone here who can echo that prayer in your own hearts, I invite you even for just for this next moment, will you just ask the Lord to soften your hearts all over again? If you have judged someone, if you have been hardened through life, if you have been just too busy chasing and running in a rat race, Maybe you're serving in the church doing the religious thing, but you don't even know what a kingdom assignment is all about. Why don't you just ask the Lord in this few moments just to stir that passion once again. Will He give you, ask for a fresh revelation of the cross. Ask for a, a, a remembering of the mercy that we have received. The grace that we have that we do not deserve. Lord, help us, Lord. The world does not need more people pointing fingers. The world needs to experience your love and your grace. And so, Lord, we come humbled before you, asking you to help us because you are the Father of mercies. You are rich in mercy. So show us again, Lord, enable us. And it's not about us trying. It's not about us trying to get onto a mercy mission on our own. Holy Spirit, will you empower us? Will you enable us all over again? And so, Lord, as we close, even through these weeks, Lord, the next weeks, speak to us, show us, Lord, perhaps there's an assignment for us to move on. So thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.